Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Donner, and I'm your host. As we discuss personal and spiritual development, as we explore why people think, feel, and act the way we do, as we take every week a comparative look and overview at all the different religions and spiritual traditions and philosophies, uh, lifestyles and attitudes as well uh, in the world in a comparative sense. That, uh, you know, so, so much of what used to be comparative, uh, especially in current events and politics, has become adversarial. And everybody, not everybody, but there's an example of me doing what I'm about to talk about, the absolutist nature. It's everybody or no, no one. And even our language, we get sloppy and start talking about everybody this and nobody that. And this is always true and that's never true. And so I don't want to overstate things. But um, most folks, when they examine uh, or contrast well, take philosophies or spiritual traditions. Uh, they look at the differences, focus on the differences, and, and try to resolve those. I'd just like to suggest here, from the mystery school standpoint, and the tradition of mystery schools and time out of mind, in all cultures at all times in this world, has been to look with an open heart and an eye toward harmony. And what do the traditions have that link them together? Not to the exclusion of contrasting and comparing uh, by focusing on the differences, but in addition to that, uh, um, a larger overview from, I often like to say, from an elevated perspective, uh, the bigger picture. And that's when you start seeing the connections in the threads. Like if Christians began to discover Buddhism, really, um, uh, uh, and, and likewise, uh, it's almost as if Christ studied Buddhism. In fact, there's some evidence that he did. <laughs> and if his Christians believe he's the Son of God and God incarnate, then he would know all things anyway, so you would understand the connection between Christianity and Buddhism. But Christians, generally speaking, think of Buddhism as a religion rather than a philosophy. And so you don't run into too many people that call themselves Buddhist Christians or Christian Buddhists, even though there easily could be such a thing, or a Jewish Buddhist or a Buddhist Jew. Or and If you bring the, the Sufis in, you know, uh, there's there's all the news about the fundamentalist Muslims, but you don't hear much about the mystical Muslims unless you know the poetry of Rumi or Hafaz, if you know about the dervishes, if you know the incredible mystical tradition of uh, of, of the way in which human romance really intersected with a passion or uh, a longing for God, a love that would consume the self in its fires of passion. And so much of Middle Eastern poetry in that period, 12th, 13th, 14th century, uh, you, you'd think that, the, that, that Rumi is talking to um, a lover, 
a very incarnate, informed lover, the way he talks about his longing and, and, and his passion and his love of the Almighty. Um, so we have the Sufi tradition in the Middle East, the, the uh, Kabbalah uh, for the Jews, their mystical tradition, all these cultures, these religions. If you take a step back or, or, or elevate yourself, stand above it a bit, and um, get the bigger picture. Begin to look at the threads, the, the, the connection, the, if not the unity, at least the harmony. And um, pull out the, the great themes in your own mind as part of deciding what kind of person have I been, am I, and would I like to be? How do I want to guide my, myself through my life? So um, today, in the Mystery School, we're going to talk about two very powerful, um, uh, dangerous uh, emotions, and that's hatred and anger. Um, I'll be interesting to see what the, what the turnout is between the live program count here today and, and the number of podcast hits we get. Uh, I, I don't know how popular a topic this might be. Uh, it could be a lot of folks would say, "Well, oh my God, I'm not going to spend uh, an hour or or an hour and a half listening to a program about hatred and anger. There's enough of that in the world. Well, certainly there's enough out of control anger and hatred and uh, mismanaged and misguided and misdirected anger as well. We're often angry at the wrong thing, the wrong reasons. We don't understand these emotions very well. And they are among the most intoxicating uh, of all the negative feelings. Anger and hatred are very powerful, intoxicating feelings. Make you say things and do things that uh, you later regret. In fact, part of maturing, uh, unfolding, developing, evolving is reducing the amount of time it takes for you to realize how intoxicated you've been made by unmanaged anger and even hatred. Um, and of course, it gets very uh, complicated if you are an absolutist, uh, an everything or nothing binary thinker, because the people who often stimulate the most anger, if not hatred, let's just say anger in this case, are the people who love us and who we love the most. I mean, as they say, O.J. must have loved his wife very much to commit such a brutal crime in killing her. Now, in one way, that's an absurd statement. If he loved her, he wouldn't ever want to hurt her. But there was this rage, this anger, even this hatred, um, the so-called love-hate relationship is a very real thing. And often, the more you love, the greater the potential for anger and hatred. Now, I'd point out that the problem with that, that dynamic, the way strong, passionate love, even lust, can bring up anger and hatred, I'd like to point out that that's not a mature love that a needy, desperate, possessive, lusty, 
uh, love is um, a very undeveloped uh, a passion and more an instinct, really, than an, uh, an intuition we, or an intuition. We talked about instinct and intuition just a couple of weeks ago here. Uh, more an instinct than an intuition, more an instinct than a, than a heart-based uh, emotion. Uh, and by, by instinct, I'm talking about at an animal level, like a non-conscious reaction, knee-jerk response, like the instinct of the herd. That kind of love can be very controlling and very possessive and stimulate anger and hatred and violence. What kind of love can do that? A very undeveloped, primitive, possessive kind of love. Love, of course, has its frequencies. And at the higher frequencies of love, you don't need to own or possess. You don't see your relationships as sources of love, but as partners in a shared matrix of love, as a unified field. Most of us tend to think of love as a commodity we pass around. I'll, I'll give you some, you give me some. Uh, let's all love everybody. <laughs> it, it's less a commodity that that you pass around than an energy field that you participate in. And both people have to give uh, to this field. They have to stand present, open, uh, relaxed, and safe. And you know the feeling of, of being in love. And then there are even higher frequencies of love and countless qualities of love. So when we admit to the uh, existence in human beings of this paradox between I hate you so much because I love you so much and you make me so angry because I love you so much that uh, that's just a human being that uh, is experiencing love at a very um, fear-based level. Imagine, it's mostly fear. What initially we call love and want to possess, I've got to have you, I can't live without you, is really the fear of losing love. We call it love. But again, if it's capable of generating anger and hatred, as is so often the case, like I said, O.J. must have really loved his wife to kill her like that. Uh, that's insane. That, that, that That's crazy thinking, and yet that's the level that great masses of humanity um, are operating. The idea, of course, is to, through religion, through philosophy, through character development, through good parenting skills, uh, by creating a, a society that... Uh, values, you know, that has values and morals and ethics, uh, then people want to evolve. They want to develop the frequency at which they love to be less controlling and less needy and less possessive of, uh, of love. I mean, actually all that holding on, that desperate love that so many people are just really passionate about is... In, in many ways, are rather pathetic. And uh, there are some, you know, higher frequencies or qualities of love that are very liberating. 
just really free to be who you are. You know, they know the worst about you, and they still love you anyway. I saw, saw that in a, a line in a movie just the other day. We watched, uh, what was it? It was Meet Joe Black. It was about death lingering for a while in form to see what it's like on the earth plane. And death falls in love. And, of course, the person he falls in love with falls in love with ta-da, death. Pretty interesting. If <laughs> you've never seen that movie. So, um, is it possible to, uh, our theme today, hatred and anger, to be uh, angry and even to hate seemingly somebody that we love? Yes. But, again, that is a unrefined love. That is a common emotional love. It's more instinct than intuition. Um, it's in the lower chakras, down in the sacral center, uh, with sex and money and power and control, and it needs to be lifted into the solar plexus, where the caring and putting the relationship ahead of the self begins to happen, and finally rising into the heart chakra, where uh, the synergy really takes place, where, where, where the greater, um, uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Okay? Very important concept to understand in life, whether it's geodesic domes or philosophy, uh, the potential to shift consciousness so that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. That's what a good marriage or a good partnership should be. One and one equals more than two. You know the greater sign? <laughs> one and one, one plus one is greater than two if you're doing it right. That's the whole point. You know, People say, well, it's just a piece of paper. They didn't get it. They're still one plus one. They might be legally married. They're in a relationship that looks like a marriage, but it doesn't have the, the team aspect to it. The, you have to keep putting the relationship ahead of your own individuality to create something that's bigger than the two of you, which is called a family, whether you have children or not. That coupling is called a family. And it's based on love, and it's the context within which that love grows and evolves, within which we learn to control, hopefully, our anger and, uh, and our hatred. Having said that, Certainly, much of what we call anger and hatred is directed at people that we don't know, have never met, probably never will meet. Um, much of our anger and frustration, our irritation, our hatred, is directed at uh, vague, faceless groups of them. I'm thinking uh, in this uh, particular time, 2010, as we do this program, uh, bankers on Wall Street, lobbyists on K Street, uh, the financial industry and the large corporations of the world. Um, pretty easy to be angry at these guys, even if you've never met one. And it's likely you have not. They, they live in uh, you know, g gated estates. 
and the number of gated estates continues to grow and the number of ghettos and barrios continue to grow new poverty numbers are out last week 45 million of your neighbors are in poverty I understand the appeal in standing up and saying America is the greatest nation in the world but we're 35th in infant mortality we have 45 million people in poverty most of them are children millions more that suffer food insecurity who don't know from day to day these are our neighbors Americans right and um, need I even bring up Katrina we say we don't have the resources, we have debts. We have a $3 trillion debt fighting two decade-long wars that were based on lies. And so there are people you've never met that you're angry at. By the way, it occurs to me to mention as well that even though it's bad English to end with a preposition and to be angry at, uh, <laughs> The, the bigger point is that you can be angry without having to direct it at or toward any individual or, or group of individuals. In fact, as we begin to discuss what to do with your anger and your hatred, what to do about it, which is to take responsibility to take ownership of it, to understand that it's being evoked from you and not done to you. Anger and hatred is not coming at you. Something is coming at you that is bringing out of you anger and hatred. So to be angry at the stimulus, to have to have somebody to be angry at, or some individual or group to hate, is really not necessary. It's possible just to be angry. And it's possible just to feel like you hate. Seems like hate even more than anger. I mentioned this in the newsletter. It seems to have a need to be personal. It's hard to hate a circumstance or a situation. You can hate an individual or a group, but you usually don't use the word, I just hate this situation I'm in, right? You could, but now anger, I'm really angry with you, or I'm really angry with the situation. I don't really have anybody to blame. But in both cases, hatred and anger, we like to look for people to blame. We want to finger somebody. It's just part of the defense mechanism. You see, the funny thing about anger and, 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 and the hatred is that to the to the individual who is suffering the intoxication uh, of anger and hatred, they believe they're defending themselves. They believe it's a defense. In fact, it's most offensive. As I said in the, um, in the newsletter just a couple of days ago, um, anger is a bully. And angry people really don't need much of a reason to be angry. We did a program here, a class a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, called Happiness for No Reason, 
Well, a lot of people are angry for no reason. What are you angry about? What are they angry about? They're angry about their life. They're angry about uh, what, what they see as happening to them. They're, they're, they're angry that they feel like a target or an effect or a victim of uh, an unfair life. And certainly there's plenty of evidence for that, right? No question about it. That's a worldview that you can pick up and carry around with you. That's a, that's a glass through which you can color your life. And most people do. Some people for their entire lives and others catch on. And catching on means taking responsibility, understanding the feelings are evoked. That maybe the person that you're hating or that you're angry at did stimulate these feelings. They might have poked you, right? But usually if you ask yourself how they got that power, you'll find that the button they're pushing is already bruised, that you have a particular vulnerability or sensitivity in that area. Now, both things are true. It's, it's just a courteous and respectful thing to do to take responsibility for the impact you have on other people. But far more important than that is to take responsibility for the impact they have on you. Far more important is to know that your feelings are your feelings. And you can, this is the primary lesson here today, completely change your life when you do the 180 that is necessary, the complete turnaround, the reversal that is necessary to move from obsessing on the person that you're angry at or that you hate, and instead, I want to say obsessing or fixating (laughs) on um, how they did that to you, why you feel that way. Only I, I would have to say it in, you know, obsession doesn't always sound like a very good word, but how about reflection or contemplation upon why does this upset me? Why do I get angry? Why do I feel this way? Feeling this way reminds me of what? You reflect on other times that you felt this way. And by probing the discomfort, by exploring the depth and the breadth of these very powerful negative feelings, hatred and anger, you come to understand them. And as you understand them, they cease to exist. That's the beautiful thing about working with any kind of pain. This is as true for physical pain especially chronic pain, but acute pain as well, works the same with physical pain as with emotional pain. You've got to heal it. You've got to feel it to heal it. I'll get that straight. (laughs) 
get the horse in front of the cart. You've get, that's the very point. You've got to feel it to heal it. You can't heal it until you feel it. All pain, all suffering, all discomfort is a symptom of something we don't understand. Whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, it's always a symptom of something we don't understand. Face it, embrace it, feel it fully and completely. I know it hurts, but it mostly hurts because we resist feeling it. And the need for the feeling to get through, to deliver the message is so strong that when you resist feeling some discomfort, it cranks up the amperage, don't you see? And so you push back even harder and the pain, the discomfort, the irritant says, I got to deliver this message. This is very important. So it amps itself up even more. Now you've got even more physical pain or emotional pain. And we fight back. We resist even more. We push back with muscular tension. We push back by being workaholics. Uh, we, we, we push back with uh, drugs and alcohol, um, with, with just, you know, like I said, being a type A or a, or, or a workaholic and, and using life to, as, a, as a diversion from living life itself fully and completely. So this is the process, this is the point of learning to manage your hatred and your anger is to take ownership of it. And this, of course, is true with all your feelings. Now, the positive love-based feelings, they represent, they are symptoms, again, whether it's, um, in this case, physical or emotional pleasure, uh, in both cases, they're symptoms of things you do know and understand. You know, um, happiness, joy, peace, love, harmony, generosity, and kindness, and tolerance, and, and forgiveness, and patience, and all all the many, many thousands of qualities of love. They reveal. They stand as evidence of what you have come to understand about yourself and your life. Everything that's positive and warm and fuzzy. They don't need to be broken down or processed further. It's the negative feelings, the ones that hurt, that need to be understood so that they go away. Or are lifted from something that's uncomfortable and displeasurable to something that is pleasurable. Understanding is a wonderful, a wonderful feeling. It feels like safety. <laughs> and feeling safe is a wonderful way to create uh, a fertile imagination that is more likely to understand. And so, in many ways, love and peace of mind is a higher brainwave state for understanding. So fear has its relationship with ignorance. What are you afraid of? I don't know. Isn't that the point? And love has a primary relationship with understanding. And just as fear comes 
from confusion and makes you more confused and more afraid. Confusion is scary. And feeling frightened and afraid and stressed and anxious is confusing. So you have similarly the complement, which is as peace of mind. Meditation promotes understanding and insight. Not instinct, but intuition, as we discussed a few weeks ago. Not the herd instinct of animals, but a higher, more spiritual. Sometimes it's been called the sixth sense, one additional sense, that non-logical way of knowing where thoughts just burst into your awareness already conceived in, in full concept, thoughts that arrive full-blown. So the primary message of the day today is that your feelings are yours. They're about you and whoever or whatever or however they've been stimulated. You'll find yourself obsessing on the stimulus. It's that know the enemy stuff that fight or flight uh, institutes in your brain. But this isn't danger. This is confusion. And you're the one that's confused when you're angry. And you're the one that's confused when you're feeling any kind of hatred, contempt, or animosity. Or any time you find yourself inclined to be violent, to strike out. Keep in mind that much of this is not only a symptom of what you don't know in the moment, but often a trigger, or often triggered by memories of things that were unknown from long ago. In other words, you may get angry in a certain situation and only 10% of the anger you're experiencing is about what just happened. 90% of your anger goes back to childhood when a similar thing happened. But you're not aware of that connection, perhaps. It's likely you are not unless you're deliberately focused on personal development or doing, you know, some kind of uh, a proactive meditation exercise or you're in counseling or, or doing child work and psychotherapy, that kind of thing, regression therapy, and dealing with these childhood issues. And that's really the success of therapy is bringing a lot of these childhood issues to the mind of the adult you've become. By using meditation and the states of deep reflection, expanded awareness, you understand what happened as a child and the false assumption you most likely made about it with the intelligence, the awareness, the, the vocabulary and the insight of the adult that you've become. It was like time traveling back into your childhood and understanding why you felt the way you felt and why you made a decision about yourself. I always thought I was a bad kid because my father was always angry at me. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I realized my father was angry at everybody. And I forgave myself. But it took me all those years to figure it out. I had to dedicate myself. Right, and reading self-help books and finally going into a, 
excellent emotional intelligence program that just freed me up to feel my emotions and they taught me so much it was it was remarkable children will go way out of their way to take responsibility for that which is not their fault uh, you don't have to do much to make a kid uh, feel guilty they'll take the blame for anything <laughs> the rooster didn't crow this morning oh what did I do it must be <laughs> it must be my fault oddly we often then become adults who refuse to take responsibility when we are responsible <laughs> but uh, it, it's 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 so common that the pain that we suffer now at any age at any stage in our lives uh, is often uh, triggering this old unresolved hurt uh, from childhood and again understanding is the antidote so you want to understand your anger understand hatred and understand what it really represents what it's a symptom of uh, I want to reread this brief little quote that I put in the newsletter this week because uh, this speaks to what we're talking about right now. This is the, uh, the author James Baldwin who says, I imagine one of the reasons that people cling to their hates so stubbornly or cling to their hatred so stubbornly is because they sense once the hate is gone, They'll be forced to deal with pain. In other words, if you hold on to the symptom, wield it like a weapon, all the while saying that this is your defense against those people out there, those people that are trying to get you, that it's just a way of putting off accepting the pain, facing the pain, and beginning to explore it to see what it says about you. And this is the, the transmutational, transformational, uh, salvational, redemptive <laughs> part of psychotherapy and hypnotherapy. And spiritual growth is the realization that you are more than what you've done. You are more than what you think you are, good, bad, and ugly. And that uh, things you did or didn't do but should have done, uh, things that happened to you, instead of seeing it from a, a, a point of view of that was my fault or, or uh, what could I have done to have avoided that or how could I learn from this and handle it better. You just understand that it is in everyone's interest for you to forgive yourself because in order to forgive yourself, you have to take responsibility for the feeling, for the pain. And that means that you have given up blame. Now imagine a world where people have given up blaming others for the way they feel. And instead, as soon as they feel irritated, any negative feeling, today we're focusing on hatred and anger. Because they're the big ones. A lot of violence comes out of hatred and anger. Just simple road rage. My God, you don't even know the God. <laughs> 
I sometimes wonder how many times, you know, when somebody cuts me off in traffic and scares me, surprises me, he seems to be driving recklessly, and I, I just presume that he did it on purpose. And the anger flares, right? I mean, it, it, it takes a deliberate effort to breathe and relax and consider the possibility that the guy had no idea what he just did from your point of view, and that you've probably done that a hundred times. I remember when those times people honked at you and yelled at you and gave you the middle finger salute, and you're like, what, what, I didn't do anything. Well, maybe you did. <laughs> but if we're going to continue as a human race, if we're going to survive on this planet, much less make a leap into a whole new age of understanding we have to do this 180. We have to do this reversal. And it really is a leap, a, a quantum leap from trying to understand the source or the cause and instead understand yourself. Instead of trying to control what's already happened to you, control your perspective, your attitude, your point of view, number one, and control or manage your response, number two. To insert between stimulus and response a middle point of perception and awareness is one way of describing the leap in awareness, the, the leap forward in consciousness that is called mindfulness where you stop judging more and more and more and more. You're able to observe things that are happening without deciding that that was good or that was bad. It just was. It just happened. And to begin to bring that into your life, some might say, well, life's not going to be very passionate or very interesting if you don't judge things as good or bad, right or wrong, give me more, give me less. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I, I beg to differ. Life becomes much more interesting and much more fascinating, intriguing, mysterious, beautiful, magnificent. Words like fascinating and enchanting come to mind. Intriguing. From the 60s, I would say, what a trip. When you stop judging, when the mind just just shut up. just it, It's actually more than the judging. There's not only the constant judging that fills your head with chatter, but our perpetual need for approval. Do you like me? And general control issues. Trying to manage what's <laughs> trying to manage what's already happened to you, and living in the perpetual anxiety of now what? That's that's where most most of us are most of the time, standing on the verge of now what? Now what am I supposed to do? Right? Doesn't that feel childish? That's where we are. Now what am I supposed to do just to keep my head above water? 
much is being said in the media now about how people are angry. One of the basic rules for deconstructing anger is to find the hurt in the anger. You can say this about, again, almost any negative feeling. It needs understanding. It needs resolution to understand, to realize what the feeling says about you is to eliminate the feeling. It just goes away. The pain, the hurt, it vaporizes. As soon as you realize what it's saying to you, it's absolutely miraculous. And again, the same thing is true with physical pain. Explore it. And you can at least cut those numbers back, you know, maybe from an 8 to a 6, and maybe to a 4, and maybe down to a 2. Okay? It's very interesting. Just let the message through. Let the message in. It wants to communicate to you. Stop resisting. That's where the pain and the suffering is. Maybe you've heard the saying, uh, pain is necessary, suffering is optional. Let the pain in, feel it fully, and move through it out the other side. There's no need to suffer. Okay. All of this, of course, is relative in a matter of degree. People do suffer. There is pain in the world, extraordinary pain in the world. Some of it unmanageable. But much of it is manageable, if not controllable. And uh, so to reverse engineer or to break down anger, once you've taken responsibility for it and seen it as coming out of you, yeah, stimulated by what that guy said or what she did or the action that the group took or your frustration with life in general, But as you understand what it says about you being your particular feeling, it carries your color, your, your, your mark, your fingerprint, so to speak, deconstruct it. So now I know it's mine. What does it mean to deconstruct the anger? Find the hurt. And beneath the hurt, of course, is fear of the unknown. All fear is fear of the unknown. And that's what hurts. You don't understand something about yourself. But it's important to, rather than go from merely fear, uh, from uh, anger to fear, rather, to, to see the hurt in the middle. Go from anger to hurt. Find the hurt that didn't get resolved, that didn't get fixed, that that is getting piled on top of. You know, like this happened and that hurt and I didn't say anything. And then this happened again or you did this again and I didn't say anything and it happened again. And now I'm starting to get angry because it keeps happening and the hurt is building. That's what the anger is. It's just over the top hurt. Just you didn't say anything. Time to speak up. Except that, again, what needs to be said between you and the person that's stimulating your anger ultimately is going to be less important than your own introspection and contemplation, what you learn about yourself from reflecting upon the anger as yours. <laughs> it's from your interior. It's your response and therefore your responsibility. You, you, you have choices of what you're going to do with it. 
Well, I thought that's a pretty good quote. James Baldwin, he says again, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so much or so stubbornly is because they sense once the hate is gone, they'll be forced to deal with the pain. Okay. Well, I say let the hate go, let the anger go as soon as possible. Find the hurt in it and deal with it. As soon as you understand it, the negative emotion will be gone, or at the very least, transmuted or transformed into a positive feeling, added to what you do know about yourself and understand about yourself. All right, let's go to questions and comments. And uh, again, if you're on the telephone and you'd like to participate live, uh, you get extra points for that. Press star 2 on your telephone touchpad. Yeah, lots of folks on the telephone listening live today. Any one of you I'd love to chat with, answer your question, or um, listen to your comment on our topic today. Big time hatred and anger. And don't see any hands just yet, so let's look at the um, text questions and answers. Some folks just writing in to say hi. And... Uh, then we'll do our guided imagery exercise, too, if there's nothing you guys want to say in terms of feedback. Uh, Phil Joffe's with us again, Canoga Park. She says, thanks for putting photos of Doreen on your Facebook page. She's uh, truly gorgeous. Well, now Doreen's going to want to see what pictures I've put up. Uh, thank you, Phil. Thank you very much for that. Mahalo. Uh, Doreen is a beautiful person from the inside out. Carol Postel, uh, La Habra, says hello, and then later she comes back in and says, oh, yeah, by the way, I really loved Meet Joe Black. I went to see it with Kara Donnelly. Uh, how long ago was that? I don't know, Carol. I don't know how, how far back that was, but we just saw it last night, and I'd never seen it before. Doreen had seen it two or three times, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a great, great film. There's a lot to say about it. But, uh, okay, let's uh, let's go back and check the telephone people. I have to remember to put this on auto refresh as well. Diane is with us this morning. Let's go to this afternoon in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Good afternoon, Diane. Welcome to the Mystery School. Good afternoon, Michael. You know, I I think, though, that some level of anger is okay, that it might be a healthy, healthy emotion. Um, I know that, that a couple of things push all my buttons, which is being, being abusive to other human beings or to me. I immediately get angry, and I solve the problem by moving them out of my space and my life. Um, but I think getting angry with that is is a normal, healthy reaction. Do you disagree? No, not really. If somebody is being abusive, um, there's no reason that we have to expose ourselves to that. And often the, the easiest route is to uh, find better friends, to, um, you know. Move them out. Yeah, just just let them go. Let them go their way. 
so uh, in and of itself, our ability to feel anger, I would have to agree, uh, is not a bad thing. To me, the important thing is to know that we can always control it. We never have to let it control us, and that there are things that we can do, very much like the meditation we're going to do in a few minutes here, to breathe, to let go. And again, it's it, the funny thing is when we resist the anger uh, or hold on to the anger or use it like some sort of shield or a weapon, um, it grows and it gets bigger and it has less and less value. In fact, is more likely to create a situation that we're going to regret. Now the anger is controlling us. But when we do something like just say, I am angry, this is really upsetting me. Just to be able to say that out loud is to take a step in the direction of, now I'm going to drive the car. I'm going to manage the anger. The anger is not going to drive me. I'm going to drive it. And if it's righteous indignation at some injustice in the world, now you channel it into a productive direction. But that we were sensitive to it initially as anger, no, I think that's a good thing. It's just, what do you do with it then? Exactly, because anger has a lot of energy associated with it. Oh, yeah. It can lead it. I haven't used the R word, rage. <laughs> yeah, right. But it is, uh, I, I think it's a primary form of motivation for a lot of people, too. They've got to get angry before they do anything. Um, there, there are, however, better ways to motivate ourselves. I just think they're more difficult, namely uh, love and vision and passion and and following on, on your dreams with determination and perseverance. and um, I think that's a much better way to motivate ourselves. But fear works, and the fear-based feelings, anger, works. Um, but it, it leaves behind broken spirits. It's like you can motivate your kids, or I, I know you're a businesswoman. You're uh, managing your employees with authority and we could use fear and intimidation and and power and it is an effective way to motivate people but in the long run it breaks their spirit and they don't like you and they don't like each other and they don't like being at work and so and while it, a good job once you yeah. broke spirit right, right? empowering allows they, to do better jobs be more productive right Nobody wants to be in one of those work situations where uh, the only thing everybody can agree on is that nobody wants to be there. (laughs) Right, exactly. I've had a couple of those jobs, and uh, they're they're horrible. So it's a greater challenge to motivate people with vision, with teams, with a sense that everybody's a stakeholder, that we're in this together, raw team, you know, uh, it, it, it's more work, it's more challenging, but um, the rewards are outrageous. That's where you really get high performance and, 
and top-line satisfaction, businesses that are still working only with a bottom line are becoming extinct. And the businesses that are taking their place are businesses that are aware of their bottom line, but they also have a top line, which is employee satisfaction and the contribution that they're making to their community and to to the society in general, to the people that work there and their families. And this top line has to be considered as well. And some people say there really needs to be a third line, um, a bottom line financial, a top line how people feel about working there, and then a green line how we impact the environment. And I think it's interesting for businessmen and women now they have their MBAs, they better start thinking 21st century because the the ethical violations and the wholesale corruption in the business community today cannot last long. No, it can't. And and yeah, I think we we moved into a an era of very narcissistic bottom line oriented businesses where individuals didn't count. They were just numbers. And that can't last forever. Because they can't survive. Yeah, we're talking about this movie, Meet Joe Black, uh, that Doreen and I watched last night. Have you ever seen this film, Diane? Yes, I have. You have? Yes. Um, of course you have. <laughs> Everybody's seen it but me, I think, until last night. Uh, Brad Pitt, wasn't it, right? Oh, yes, just just looking so Brad Pittish. He's just oh, such a remarkable actor, and uh, everybody was good in the film, but watching it and looking at the way that this uh, self-made um, um, multi-multi-millionaire businessman uh, was being cut out of his own corporation for greed, for reasons of greed, and the internal power struggle where he was, again, retired from his own corporation against his will, and then the corporation was divided up and they all... Everybody walks with money. That's what's happened for 30 years in this country. That's right. Uh, it's and it's our generation that I, you know, uh, and a little bit older. Uh, it's the baby boomers uh, to some extent. I guess the generation just before them, late 30s, early 40s, mid 30s uh, to uh, mid 40s, maybe that generation. They just said, we can carve up these American corporations, we'll export jobs to the third world where labor is cheap, we'll lay these people off, we'll make all this money, stockholders will have to support us because we're going to throw so much money at them, right? They, they can't say no. Hey. So now, now we're in the business of selling off America's assets, and we'll all keep the money as golden parachutes, We'll all sit on our hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, <laughs> and these are the guys that don't want their taxes to go from 36 to 39%. They don't want a three per, the Bush tax cuts for the, for the wealthiest people. And uh, they've sold off America. It's been plundered. And exactly. In the name of ambition and success. 
How old is that movie? Fifteen years? Do you it's think? pretty old. It goes back to the late nineties. I think so. Well, so you know, it was happening then. It was happening in the Reagan era. I watched uh, in the mid eighties. Ninety percent within four years in the mid eighties. Ninety percent of radio news jobs were permanently eliminated, and they never came back. Exactly. 90. It began in the 80s, I think, when um, so many companies became public and the stockholders kept demanding more and more profits. Well, the only way you can do that is the bottom line has to become number one, the people have to become uh, non-important, uh, and you have to find ways to produce more money, and going out of the country was one of them. So I think it was really driven by stockholders, um, not driven necessarily by by management. Yeah. So uh, American business and industry has cannibalized itself. Yes. It's but, eating. It's what has happened is we've sold ourselves out, and I think that the quality of the products we can create, whether it's service industries or actual tangible products is really weak in our country right now. And maybe because of that, the pendulum will change, will turn and start moving the opposite way. Well, there's a Winston Churchill quote I rediscovered the other day I was reminded of. I like it a lot. Churchill says, when you find yourself in hell, keep going. So we'll just keep going. <laughs> I guess. We'll just walk through it, march through it, and trust that uh, the the better aspects of human nature eventually prevail. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and to really create good products, you need to have seasoned teams, people that have worked together for a period of time. We don't have that right now because our companies don't have loyalty to its people, and the people don't have loyalties to the companies. Oh, we, you know. Yeah, we. I, I think we're even rethinking as a society why we have the products we have, why we buy what we buy. Um, yes. You know, are we, um, um, well, I guess it's not even debatable. To what extent have we become less a consumer and more uh, uh, an addict, uh, a junkie? It's like we're consumer junkies. And we've got to consume, consume, consume. I'm overstating this, but this is really the the. Um, have you ever seen the story of stuff? No. I'm going to leave you with this, and everybody else, you can watch this video. I played the entire soundtrack of this film, it's 20 minutes long, on KPFK about four years ago maybe three years ago when I first left L.A., just before I left L.A. for Maui. It's called The Story of Stuff, and you just go to storyofstuff.com and click on it, and it's a really well-done commentary. Um, I mean, low-budget, in total indie, low-budget. Uh, like maybe three people in somebody's bedroom put this thing together, but... I think it's just marvelous. It's called The Story of Stuff, and it it exposes much of what we do not know. 
about our consumer-based society and the nature of conspicuous consumption and the extraordinary amount of waste that is deliberately built into the system. And while part of it is a bit of a downer, at the same time, you feel so enlightened and so knowledgeable after this 20-minute video that it's really empowering in the end. In the long run, you feel like you really can make a difference as we learn to uh, get by with all the stuff, without all the stuff, right? Absolutely. Check it out, everybody else, too. Check it out, you guys, and uh, bookmark it and tell your friends about it. Uh, Story of Stuff, or thestoryofstuff.com. And, Diane, thank you. Do you have a parting shot for us? Um, I think that, that anger, because I know there's all levels of it, and I know some people live with it, where it's, you know, a shadow for them. Um. I think in business and in my personal life, I when I'm angry, not including abusive behavior, but at other things, it really helps if I take a deep breath, let it go, and then figure out what what happened. Where was the other person coming from? If it's another person, um, and begin to have a level of understanding and that can lead to a level of forgiveness and then you're not angry anymore. That's it. That's the magic. That's the outcome of it. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. Have a great day. And uh, you likewise. And thanks for covering for me on Thursday. I had uh, a doctor appointment and I missed the video conference. I got several emails from people that said, uh, you did just fine without me. And the Sorry, I missed the uh, video conference, but I'll be there this Thursday. Well, I assure you, we never do as well without you, and we missed you, but we did have a great, a great discussion. Good, I'm sure that had a lot to do with your help, your help. So thank you, and we'll talk soon. Aloha. Aloha. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. We're live from Maui, Hawaii. Today is September 19th, and 2010. This program is available by podcast and streaming audio at theagelesswisdom.com. We have an archive of about 140 of these classes. Every single one of them has a meditation or guided imagery exercise on the end. A valuable resource. It's absolutely free as a public service of FocusedPassion.com. So I want you to know about Focused Passion and the premium audio that is available for a subscription of just 99 cents a week. These are conversations that are similar to the Mystery School but they're studio quality rather than on the telephone. It's two of us, Steve and I, in conversation, compelling conversation, we like to say, and uh, we feel that way. And, of course, guided meditation as well. So uh, you can pick up a free podcast, a 10-program sample, um, at the iTunes store. Just search for Empower 
Yourself in Paradise. The premium audio is called Finding Yourself in Paradise. The free sample podcast is Empower Yourself in Paradise. You just put my name, Michael Benner, or Steve Snyder into the search box at the iTunes store, and it'll pop up for you. And we do recommend iTunes, um, only because um, it's a free download for Mac and PC. It's a very good way to organize all of your audio files, your music. You can convert formats. You can burn CDs. You can make playlists. And uh, voila, a built-in podcatcher. So all of our programs go right into your podcast folder, even even, even the premium audio programs. Um we can arrange to have dropped right into the podcast folder in iTunes. So you wake up in the morning, your podcasts are there for that day. Very cool. Check it all out at focusedpassion.com. And uh, remember the ED, it's the w's.focusedpassion.com. I also want to remind you we have a, uh, a retreat. The first Maui retreat is coming up in February of 2011 this is a five-day outdoor intensive uh, nature intensive uh, creating awareness through peace this is a discovery of self again you can imagine that the seminar out here is going to be called finding yourself in paradise the same as our audio program and you're right it's Exactly what you're going to do is an encounter with yourself and other people in the workshop, of course, but primarily everybody is going to be there to understand themselves better, to expand that awareness using states of peace in nature, in paradise. Uh, In February, the whales will be here. We're going to be outdoors on 70 acres of privately held land, beautiful rainforest not far from Hana, in uh, eastern Maui and the North Shore. The whales will be here. We'll be outside. Uh, uh, You'll be able to hear the whales, uh, especially at night. Uh, We have hot showers and indoor facilities, indoor plumbing and toilets, and lots of hot showers. Uh, All the food will be catered. Um, You'll have an air bed. You can bring a sleeping bag or a bedroll. We'll supply an air bed so you can sleep in the bunk yurt Uh, on the deck outdoors but sheltered or go out under the stars if you'd rather sleep outside but we do have shelter uh, in in case we experience a passing shower or a particularly uh, hot midday one day and uh, we're very excited about this we're going to post a website or a page on the website in the next couple of weeks so I'll let you know but I wanted to give you advance warning, sort of save the date. The week of February 13th, Sunday, February 13th, through the following Friday. And again, an intensive. Every day we'll have uh, morning meditation, we'll have yoga and stretching. Again, all your meals will be provided, everything's included. You'll be working primarily with Steve and I throughout the day, individually, in small groups, and um we're also limiting class size to about 20, so there won't be too many people there. And I'm excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, can you imagine? One of the most beautiful places in the world, the uh, North Shore on the east end of Maui. You may know Hana. You can Google it, H 
Santa A. We're just four or five miles west of there, near Wainapa Napa, uh, which is also a well-known black sand beach. 70 acres on the bluff is about a quarter of a mile of frontage right on the Pacific Ocean. Looking north, you might even be able to see Sarah Palin's house from there. And uh, a five-day intensive that will change your life. We'll show you how to create the expanded awareness through inner peace that you've been looking for and then how to take that back home with you wherever you happen to be. Um, Peace is not a place or a destination. It's a state of mind. Once you learn to create that, then you can return there (laughs) pretty much any time you want. So come to Hawaii, take a little piece of paradise home with you. Not just a box of pineapples, but something that's really going to last. Right? Well, you can take the pineapples and chocolate too. But So more on that coming up real soon. Save the date. The week of February 13th. Five-day intensive. Finding yourself in paradise on Maui. In paradise. On some, some of the most beautiful acreage you'll ever see in your whole life. Waterfalls, rainbows, whales and a whole new life, a level of peace and quiet uh, that's hard to describe, hard to believe. All right, I want you to get comfortable, close your eyes, and let's do a brief little meditation, a little visualization exercise here, and in a sense install today's lesson, today's information, on how to manage these big, outrageous emotions, hatred and anger. Uh, So take a nice, slow, deep breath or two. As you sit back and feel balanced and centered, not rigid, but just nicely balanced. Imagine your spine whatever you know of it and however you might happen to visualize the vertebrae and the discs. It could be in a very elementary or childlike way, like blocks stacked on top of each other. The important thing is that you get in your mind an image of your spine as aligned, as a path of least resistance, that is connected to the earth as if you are rooted like a tree or a bush into the ground and receptive in the top of your head that you're sort of like a battery plugged into the earth and the sky to the material and the spiritual world and the flow of energy is like a downward precipitation. The energy that animates and illumines. You can imagine raining down gently upon you. Having a spiritual impress upon you. Energizing you. Recharging your batteries so to speak, restoring and renewing. 
you imagine yourself feeling filled and full of this warm, gentle, powerful energy that is life itself, this chi or ki, this kundalini or, or prana, this elan vital, this odic force, this Holy Spirit. Feel it filling you, and then as you feel increasingly full, even the parts of you that sometimes you experience as empty or hollow, imagine even those areas now, every little nook and cranny feeling filled with this warm, gentle light, this frequency of energy that is life itself, now beginning to radiate in all directions. And the more you release that energy, the more you let it go. Give, her, give it away or offer it up. The more you receive. Feel that as you emanate receiving and then releasing Receiving from above that which fulfills and fills and then emanates, radiates out into the world, the more you let that go, the less holding on, the less attachment, the less clutching you do, the more of this energy flows through you. You become amplified. This is an energy, again, that illumines, it animates, it, it manifests thought forms, it creates healing, it promotes solutions and understanding. And the whole process is accelerated and amplified when we come to a state of mind like this, feeling so safe and relaxed, so receptive to the impress of consciousness as love, of inner peace and love as consciousness itself. Awareness that you can use to understand your negative feelings. Even big, powerful, overwhelming, intoxicating negative feelings like anger and even hatred, which can be quite personal. Anger can be personal or generalized. Both are over the top. Both are the result of having ignored, to some degree, the early warning signs that you're becoming contemptuous, frustrated, irritated, hurt, 
angry. You didn't express it. When we don't take ownership of these feelings, it's usually because we've fixated blame and focused our attention on the stimulus or whatever is causing us to be angry or frustrated or filled with hate. By obsessing on the source or the cause, we miss the whole point of the emotional feeling being more truly a response from you, evoked from you, that is your response. If ten other people were being insulted in exactly the same way that you were insulted when you became angry recently, they'd probably all become angry too, but in different ways. And so the anger is their response and their ability to learn about themselves from their response is an ability we call responsibility or accountability. Where you stop blaming other people for the way you feel. You don't even blame yourself for the way you feel. Any more than you would blame the car. If an indicator on the dashboard said that the water temperature was getting high, maybe you should add some water, or the oil pressure was dropping, maybe you needed oil. What's the point of blaming the car or getting angry or upset with the car? It's giving you feedback. It's saying, we got a problem here. Let's, let's work it out, pull over to the side. You wouldn't blame yourself for being angry. You don't blame other people. Blame is hardly the point. It's responsibility that sets you free. You got to feel it to heal it. And so think of a time recently and just probably don't have to go back more than two or three days when you were upset, when you were angry, maybe even hated somebody or felt some contempt or animosity. Allow yourself to remember at least the anger associated with it. And notice how that tends to bring up questions about the person or the group or the circumstance that caused the anger or the hatred. And notice how well-worn that is. You've been over that ground a great deal. Why would they do that? What's wrong with them? What kind of person are they? I guess I have to cut them out of my life. Now do something important. Own it. Consider that it doesn't even matter who said it, but that you believe it. If no one can make you feel inferior without your permission, then what part of you is agreeing? That's the part that's making you angry. Or if not agreeing with the insult, just not sure. 
to become angry or to hate, you don't have to know that the person that's hurting you or insulting you is right. You just have to be confused to consider the possibility that maybe they do have a point and maybe you are inadequate somehow or bad or wrong. point is you don't know and that your pain and the hurt that you're blaming, that you've always blamed on others is directly proportional to what you've yet to learn about yourself. You want the pain to go away? Know thyself. To thine own self be true. Not a selfish thing. This is enlightened self-interest, to put yourself first. Because that's your job, to know yourself. You can't do anything for another person that you haven't yet been able to do for yourself. So work on yourself. Do it for you. Own your negative feelings. It's easy to take responsibility for your positive feelings. Oh, yeah, my happiness and my joy and my my peace of mind, my sense of fulfillment, I did that. As you polish your fingernails on your shirt, oh, yeah, good job, I'll take credit for that. But these negative feelings, oh, I didn't do any of these. These are not my fault, not my responsibility. I was a victim. Somebody did this to me. They made me feel the negative feelings. Isn't that funny? I'm responsible for creating all the positive feelings. Oh, but I'm a victim of all the negative feelings. You can't have a feeling that isn't yours. They're all about you. Right? And if somebody pokes you metaphorically with a long bony finger and it hurts, Consider that you were already bruised in that spot. You already had an exaggerated sensitivity to being poked in that way. That was your bruise. Oh, you hurt me and you pushed me away. But then you admit you were already bruised. You brought that injury to the situation and I just poked it. So who hurt who? You hurt me. No, I didn't. You were already hurt. Well, both things are true. So we are responsible for our impact on other people. Find nice ways of saying things. Be be diplomatic as you tell the truth. But more importantly, take ownership of your feelings. While you are responsible for your impact, The greater truth is you're responsible for the impact others have on you. That's much more important. You can't just treat people any way you want without regard to their feelings and say, well, take, take ownership. Your feelings. I mean, that's true, but you're forcing them to take that into account each time. They have to adjust have to drop back 10 yards and recover. See, why make them go through all of that? So you can help a lot. Each of us can help by treating people as well as we can. 
and being responsible for our impact on people. If you have a truth that's going to hurt somebody, put it to them as gently as you can. But part of taking responsibility for your feelings is letting people have theirs. We need these feedback loops. We, we, we need this information. We need our sadness. We need our melancholia. We, we, we need introspective times. And we need even to be sensitive to, to anger so that it never gets to hatred, so that we can understand it and channel it, release it. As soon as you see it on the horizon, imagine spotting your anger down the road a mile away and saying, uh, if I don't do something different this time, that anger is going to be all over me before I know what to do. I think I'll just back out of this. I think I'll just go do something else. I think I'll remember this lesson. I think I'll whatever. Long in advance, you see, of waiting for that anger to be on you. You see it way down the road. You can do that with breath, and relaxation and responsibility. That's what it is. Relaxation and responsibility. And so considering this one particular event that you were going to reflect upon a few minutes ago, A memory from not that long ago when you were hurt or upset, anger, angry, angered, <laughs> and maybe even feeling some hatred directed at an individual or just non-specific, hating everything, like a rebel without a cause, right? As you explore this feeling, as you remember times in childhood when you felt the same way, you will in a single session or maybe over several meditations gather enough insight and enough awareness that you can release the anger and forevermore see it coming a mile away. With your eyes still closed, turn your attention to the room around you. Remember what you'll see in a moment when you open your eyes wide awake. With a full memory of what you've just gone through and a feeling of having released your anger, your animosity. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling, fill your lungs, and as you exhale, ah, open your eyes now, wide awake, alert, refreshed. Rested back in the room, feeling fine. Thanks very much for being with us today. Be sure and tell your friends about this. There's a send one to a friend gadget that helps you forward any of these programs from our archive. All you need is your friend's first name and their email. And put it into the gadget and whoosh off it goes. So if this program or some other in our library was really an important program for you and you know others who would enjoy it 
well, pay it forward, pass it on. We got solutions here to solve your problems and heal your heart at theagelesswisdom.com and also focusedpassion.com. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend. Join us next week live whenever possible for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. If you're not getting the newsletter on Fridays, just use the newsletter button at theagelesswisdom.com and as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.